Hey there, Agile Merpersons, and welcome to another episode of Agile Bytes, the podcast put on by Integrity Inspired Solutions, where we build software in an agile manner day in and day out. Today, we're going to talk about the prerequisites that you need in order to have accurate forecasts off your metrics. Can you think of a sexier topic than that? I sure can't. Uh, I sure didn't hear the deafening sound of thousands of heads crashing into their tables because you fell asleep because you were bored with this topic already. So let me explain why I think it's important for us to talk about this topic. A lot of times when people sort of get into the agile and lean stuff for their teams, one of the things that's very attractive to them is the flow metrics and or the ability to run forecasts based off of their team's metrics. And they get excited about things like cycle time or Monte Carlo simulations or things like that. But what happens is, is they start to look at these charts or run these simulations or whatever it is they're going to do. And they find that their results are all over the map. So because there's so much variance with the results, doing things that way is almost not that much different than if they had just gone around and asked people for their best guesses. Their cycle time scatter plots are just all over the place or they run Monte Carlo simulations and at each of the different probability breakers, there might be months in between, right? And so when your Monte Carlo forecast has months in between each of your probability points, that's not a super, super useful forecast. So that's what I'm trying to head off at the pass here. If you are wanting to get into some of the cooler things that Agile and Lean have to offer in terms of metrics and forecasts, then you want those forecasts to be useful. You don't want the numbers to be all over the place. And this is a very, very common experience for people starting out. So what I want to do is talk to you about what things need to be in place so that when you do run forecasts or look at your cycle time scatter plots or whatever, then you're seeing results that are meaningful and useful and actionable. Let me start out by telling you what isn't necessary, which is usually where most people go, and that is that all your work items do not need to be the same size. They don't even need to be a similar size. Size does not actually matter when we're running Monte Carlo simulations or looking at the way our uh, cycle time scatter plot breaks down in terms of probabilities. I know a lot of people think it does, and I realize that our intuitions might lead us down that track, but the truth is it really doesn't. The fact of the matter is, by definition, your most common size of item will be, well, your most common size of item, and that's what's going to affect your distribution the most. You're always going to have things that are taking much less time. You're always going to have a few things that are taking much more time than your usual stuff, but it really doesn't matter that much. Now, having said that, I do want to urge you to take a look at a couple of things. One is to make sure that whatever the nature of your work's items are, you are really trying to make them the smallest deliverable unit of value. So for example, for my teams, we use user stories for our work items. And I really want those user stories to be the smallest deliverable unit of value that they can be. That doesn't mean every user story is small, but it does mean that every user story is the smallest possible version that it can be of itself. And, and we'll split cards, we'll, we'll create three different cards out of one card, if that makes sense, if they're all individual deliverable valuable units, rather than have a much larger card. So I do recommend that all teams do that. You'll still have a difference in size of all your cards. It's just that the differences are going to be a matter of days as opposed to weeks or months. The other thing is if you are looking at your cycle times and you've noticed that you have a lot of items that get completed in a very short time 
and a lot of items that get completed in a long time, but you don't really have anything in between, then you might want to ask yourself if you really have two different kinds of work items. For instance, a lot of teams, if they're combining their bug fixes and their user stories into the same chart, they'll see this pattern where lots and lots of things will take one and two days, and then there will be kind of this no man's land, and then round about the week-long mark or so, cycle times will start back up again. And in those cases, what you might have discovered is that you sort of have two different types of work items that you're combining into the same chart. One type of work item that goes super, super quick, and then another work item type that tends to take longer. And so you might choose to filter those out depending on what kind of projection you're trying to run. If I want to look at a cycle time scatter plot for how long it takes me to deliver user stories, for example, I wanna make sure that scatter plot is only showing user stories and not user stories and bug fixes. Because if I throw in the bug fixes, then that chart is going to be littered with a bunch of one day or less items that are not an accurate reflection of how our user stories go. So that's just a, a couple of little tidbits. Those are bonus tracks. Those are free of charge. But I wanted to throw those in there. The main point to take away from is you do not have to spend time trying to make all your items the same size. That is not something you need to do. And if you've heard people in the Kanban community talk about right-sizing, that is not what the word right-sizing means. Right-sizing is not going through your work items and trying to make them all the same size. So you don't need to worry about that either. But here are some things you should keep an eye on that you might not initially be aware. One of the first things, and I would say possibly the main thing, and in many ways the easiest thing to regulate, is that the rate at which you start new work needs to match the rate at which you complete work. In other words, you shouldn't be starting new things before you are finishing things you're already working on. This seems like it should be common sense, but in a lot of teams, they don't operate this way. Starting new work items is something teams love to do, especially if there's some fire behind it, right? Like this work item is a really high priority. People really want to see this. Well, I better get started on it right away. But as you've heard me say many times in this podcast, you actually don't need to get started on an important item right away. You need to finish it right away. Finishing is what we want to optimize the system for. So we want to make sure that we are not starting new work faster than we are finishing it. Conversely, we also want to make sure we aren't finishing work at a much faster rate than we're starting it in order for the system to be stable. However, this is rarely the problem that a team has. I've yet to run across the team where they're like, you know, our big problem is, is we just finish stuff too quick. Like we all just sit around most of the day because as soon as we have a work item, bang, it's done. Nobody can give us enough work. That may happen from time to time or with different teams, but it's not common. So what we want is we want the arrival rate and the departure rate of our work items to be as close together as possible, ideally matching. Now, here's the thing. You can't do a whole lot about the rate at which you finish work. You can do some things that will help. You can do things to increase your efficiency. But the thing is work takes as long as it takes. And even if you're running at maximum efficiency, maximally effective flow time, then if something takes two days to do, it's gonna take two days to do, no matter how efficient you are. If it takes eight days, it's gonna take eight days, no matter how efficient you are. So we don't have a whole lot of control over the rate at which we finish work, over the departure rate. But we do have a lot of control over our decision to start something new. In fact, most of the time we have absolute control over that decision. So what you wanna do is just make sure that your team has a policy 
of not starting new work while you are still finishing work that's in progress. You want those rates to match up. I finish a card, then pull a card. I don't want to pull cards while I still have unfinished cards just building up. There are other things you can do to help with this. Uh, whip limits often help with this if you use those. Drum buffer rope scheduling, which is something I'm going to do a separate podcast episode on. You know, if you're into the tame flow or critical chain project management, things like that, you may have heard of drum buffer rope scheduling or you've just read the goal. That can apply to knowledge work as well. And that's something that can really help make sure that you aren't starting items before you finish them. Just real quick, that schedule philosophy is basically find the slowest moving part of your system and just only pull items when that part of your system needs work. So that can help as well. But whatever you choose to do, just keep an eye on, are you starting new cards faster than you are finishing cards? And you want those rates to be as close together as possible. If you do that, and the kind of improvements you have to make to get to that point, you're going to see the resolution of a lot of workflow issues, actually. The second thing you want to do, and it's closely related to the first thing, is if you start a work item, finish it. Now, we all have times when, for exceptional circumstances, we have to kill a work item that's in progress. But we want those to be exceptions that are very few and far between. We don't want them to be a relatively common thing that happens. Generally speaking, if we pull a card, we want it to more or less be a commitment to deliver that card. That's, again, why we need to be a little slow about pulling work, right? But when we pull that work, we really want to see it through to the end. We don't want to have cards on any kind of regular basis just dropping out of our work stream while they're in progress. You know, I went to one client one time and they were talking about how their software development team was really slow and they wanted me to work with the team for a while and see if we could figure out where all the slowness was coming from. So the manager of this team asked me to come on. So I am working with this team and we're coding, we're doing features together. And in the first two weeks I was there, the manager would stop the team and change their priorities. He'd say, everybody stop what you're working on. Stop, stop working on those features. I just had a talk with so-and-so or, you know, I was in the restroom standing next to so-and-so and they muttered something about this, that, or the other thing, or somebody burped after their lunch and it kind of sounded like they wanted to change the priorities if you interpret it just right or whatever. But he would change the team's priorities. He would tell them to stop what they were currently working on and work on a new set of features that were the new things that were on fire. He did this five times during the first two weeks. The problem wasn't was that his team was slow. The problem is they were never allowed to finish anything. Almost every time they made any progress on anything, this person would swoop in and completely disrupt their priorities and make them stop whatever they were doing. It was so egregious that I actually drew off a box on their Kanban board that I called trash. And every time they had to stop a card that was in progress, I would move it to trash. And this part of the Kanban board started to have a Z axis as the sticky notes began to pile up. It became one of the most populated places on the Kanban board. But then we had a visual indicator. Hey, we are stopping way more work in progress than we are actually completing anything. So if you want your metrics to be accurate, if you want your projections to be accurate, then make sure that if you're starting work that you're finishing it again. Exceptions always happen from time to time, but we want to make sure that that is not a, a regular or semi-regular occurrence.
The third thing that I would ask you to pay attention to is to make sure that your work in progress stays relatively constant, both in the amount of work that you have in progress and in the amount that your work items tend to age. We want both of those things to stay relatively constant. They don't have to stay exactly constant. That would be quite a feat, but they need to be relatively steady most of the time. Now, a lot of the things we've already mentioned are going to help a great deal with this. If you are using drum buffer rope scheduling, if you're using whip limits, if you are paying attention to your arrival rate and your departure rate and making sure that those line up, you're probably well on your way to making sure that your whip and your item ages are, are fairly constant. The only thing that I would suggest is to pay careful attention to that work item age. First of all, because a lot of teams aren't doing it. That work item age doesn't really mean that much to them. But the second reason is you might actually think about creating a poll policy around your work item age. For example, a lot of teams that I work on, we have a policy that unless there's a good reason not to, we always pull the oldest item. So for instance, if requirements have been done on a few different cards and it's time to start development and we have a couple of cards to choose from or three cards to choose from, we're going to pull the oldest one. Unless, again, there's a very clear signal that we shouldn't do that. We're going to pull the oldest card. Say development has some things done and they're ready for testing and your testers are looking and they see, okay, I've got two or three cards. They're ready for testing. We need to start testing one. Pull the oldest one. And if you pay attention to work item age and you, you make sure that aging isn't getting out of hand and items that are starting to get old are getting more and more attention, so they don't really age. And you're kind of looking at your service level expectation and you're kind of managing to that, making sure that items don't really age past that if you can help it. If you're paying very close attention to work item age, you would be amazed at how many workflow problems just magically evaporate just from that one change alone. And obviously it's gonna make your system much more stable. So to recap, if you want to have predictive analytics that actually work, that are actually actionable, and you wanna have cumulative flow scatter plots that really tell you how long things are gonna take and are not just like an array of random numbers all over the map, what you don't need to pay a lot of attention to is the size of your items. But what you should pay attention to is the rate at which you start work matching up the rate at which you are finishing work. Are you paying attention to work item age and keeping that relatively stable? Are you paying attention to the amount of work you have in progress and keeping that number relatively stable? And if you start something, are you making sure to finish it? If you do these things, I think you'll find that your deltas on your Monte Carlo simulations are nice and tight. Your cycle time scatter plots and your cycle time histograms are nice and tight without a bunch of long variable tails to them. And you will find that your metrics become much, much more powerful in terms of their forecasting power. Thanks everyone for listening to Agile Bytes. Agile does sometimes bite, but we don't think it always has to. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be using. And if you can, leave us a comment because we'd love to hear your feedback. What things would you like to hear about? What things did you hear that were valuable to you today? You can also head over to integrityinspired.com to sign up to our email list. But that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time.